Did it seem like they prepared? Did the student memorize the music? That's not necessary, but sometimes they do, and that shows incredible work ethic. Uh, do they speak professionally? Did they send you a resume beforehand? You know, um, these are kind of things that they're more the professional side of music, and I do a lot of training with my students in that from the very beginning. Um, but if they have that already, it shows me a certain amount of drive. It is December 14th, 2020, and you are listening to episode 25 of the Candid Clarinetist podcast. What's going on, everybody? Sam Rothstein here, acting principal clarinet with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra and host of the Candid Clarinetist podcast. It was a pleasure to speak with Jack Everly last week on the podcast. He is truly one of the many great people in the orchestra industry, and I'm so thankful that he spent some time talking about the famed Indianapolis Symphony Yuletide celebration with me last week. Remember, subscribing to the podcast is the best way to get access to episodes as soon as they are available for download, and it's completely free to do so on your favorite podcasting platform. The Candid Clarinetist recently launched our new line of merchandise. If the podcast has made a difference in your life and you want an easy and fun way to support what I do here, head over to our website at candidclarinetistpodcast.com slash, slash merch and check out all of the cool items that we have for sale. And for those watching on YouTube or live on Twitch, I am wearing one of my new shirts that I just got in today. Um, there are obviously a number of significant costs that come with producing podcasts like this, so buying something from our merch store is a great way uh, to help directly support the podcast and you get something cool to wear around and tell your friends about. Once, once again, you can see what we have for sale if you head to candidclarinetistpodcast.com slash, slash merch. This week's guest is the assistant professor of clarinet at the University of Arizona, Jackie Glazier. Since many of the, those listening to the podcast are auditioning for either undergraduate or graduate music schools coming up soon here, I wanted to invite Jackie on to cover this important topic of auditioning. I'm looking forward to hearing what advice she has for aspiring clarinet students, whether you are looking to just get started as an undergraduate or continue your education in grad school. Jackie, it's very nice to have you on with me tonight. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you, you you know, came to mind, we've actually never met aside from tonight. This is our first time meeting. And uh, you came to mind because uh, you have quite a presence on uh, social media uh, with your work with the Digital Clarinet Academy and such. And and I know you've been a professor at the University of Arizona for, you said this was your fifth year, I believe. Um, That's correct. Yeah. And so uh, you've, I'm assuming, heard a lot of uh, auditions in your life, especially auditions for schools. So, um, Let's back up a little bit from that, and I just wanted to know, how long have you been teaching at the collegiate level, uh, both at Arizona and elsewhere, and uh, what is your education background? So um, this is my fifth year at uh, the U of A, and um, I actually have been teaching at the college level for six years total. Before my position here, I had a one-year sabbatical replacement at the University of Florida, and um my degrees are from University of Florida, Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, and Florida State University. Very cool. And did, so it, was it in that order? So your undergrad was Florida and then master's at CCM. And I, I'm assuming, did you study with ICSI? I did. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Pretty cool. Cause we had XE on a couple of weeks ago and, and I got that episode, by the way, if you haven't listened to it, had, has gotten rave reviews. So she's a, she's a pretty cool person. So that, that must've been fun to sort of learn from her while you were there. She's incredible. She completely changed my playing in probably just nine months. Like my very first year there, um, it's a completely different player. And I learned so much from her, not just about the clarinet, but about, being an artist and coming into your own and thinking outside the box. And, um, so she's a, a creative force. I really, um, really, really look up to her. Absolutely. Um, and then Florida state is where you did your DMA. That's correct. Yes. Oh. And I studied with uh, Debbie Bish there. Very cool. And, and I know, you know, the, the, well, I actually don't know a lot about it. So can you talk about like what goes into achieving a DMA? I know there's there's some sort of project, uh, you know, there's um, either a, a dissertation or there's a lecture recital or some combination of those. Can you describe like what you did? And, and also just for my, my uh, curiosity, how long did it take you to complete that process? 
Sure. Um, the process at Florida State, it's a little bit different uh, at every university, but at FSU, you have coursework, of course, that takes about two years, and um, you give four recitals. So you give two solo recitals, a chamber recital, and a lecture recital. And the lecture recital is um, can or cannot be tied into your graduate document that you do at uh, FSU. It's called a, a graduate treatise. And um, it's basically um, needs to be original research. So something, either a unique way of looking at something um, that's existing or something you've come up with source material for yourself. And um, that is a pretty tough process that has to be approved by your graduate committee and defended by your graduate committee. And then they also have these horrible um, exams you have to do. I'm kind of blanking on what they call them there, comps. And uh, they give you, so you have four, four people on your committee and at the beginning of a week of your choosing, they each give you a research question and you have um, one week to write four different, approximately 20 page papers, research and write on each of those questions. And then you have to defend what you wrote in the middle of the night after five days of this, you know, in front of a committee. <laughs> so uh, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a hard earned degree. Uh, um, I'm proud of it. It took me three, three years. Um, it probably would have taken me longer, but I got my job when I was all but dissertation at the end of my third year and my committee was very gracious and rushed to be available over the summer. So I just like cranked out my documents so I could get that doctor before I started work. Oh my gosh. Well, I think I'm going to file that under a better you than me category. <laughs> um, but congratulations for going through that. I know uh, even like it's, it's, it's like uh, stomach wrenching when I, when I even think about, well, you know, maybe I'll go get a DMA. And then I hear you talk about it and I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, not really for me. So <laughs> Um, and actually you probably feel the same way having gone through it, I would guess. It's, you know, it's really interesting. I, um, I was always the same way too. I was very much like, I'm going to be an orchestral player. I don't want to get a doctorate. I don't want to teach. And, um, you know, I took some years after my master's where I was, you know, auditioning and teaching and subbing with orchestras. And then I got this sabbatical replacement position and I just really loved it. I just like, oh, this is what I want to do. Okay, I've got to get a DMA. Um, and I actually enjoyed the DMA a lot more than I thought I would. But I think because I had taken that time that I was really struggling in the industry. I graduated from my master's in 2009. So it was like economy was not doing well. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I got to my DMA, I was really hungry. Sure. And I, I, I took every opportunity I could. And um, so I, I actually really enjoyed it, but I, I, I didn't think that I would. Yeah. So it, it sounds like it was kind of like perfect timing and, and it was it was good, like motivation for you. Um, you're like, OK, I want I want this and this is what I need to do. And, yeah. you know, maybe some other things weren't falling together just because of the economy and all that stuff. And you're just like, this gives me some direction. Absolutely. And, um, Dr. Bish is, a, an amazing mentor and, um, you know, I probably came in with a little bit of an ego thinking, Oh, I've had this teaching position. I just need to get this degree. And she was kind of like, okay, you need to be excellent in your playing in your solo playing. You need to understand and be able to play new music. You need to have some creative outlet that is unique to you. You need to be able to research. You need to be an amazing teacher. And then you might get a job. I remember that my first meeting with her and I was like, oh, okay. Like, Whoa. <laughs> all right. Did I sign up for this? <laughs> so I took her advice. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, congratulations to you for that. Um, and then uh, one more question, uh, Sorry, this is, I love talking about stuff like this. Um, one more question for you, which is, what was your like topic? Because it's it's I know for like, um, well, I keep saying I know, but I've heard for other subjects like if you if you try to get a doctorate in some sort of science like chemistry, you have to literally like discover something, or you have yeah. So like, what is what was your thing for clarinet? I think it's a, a little less rigorous in the, in the artistic fields, especially cause you're not getting a PhD in music. You're getting a, a doctorate of music. So it's not quite that like, you know, five or more year plus kind mm -hmm. of thing in, is in science. Um, but my topic was actually on orchestral second clarinet playing. Um, because I had, 
had a lot of experiences, a lot of training in school that talked about um, how to win jobs, how to prepare for auditions, but no information on actually how to do the job. Um, and I remember, you know, getting on sub lists and starting to sub with orchestras and, um, I was playing in Orlando and with Nikolai Blagov, who I, who I absolutely love. And, and he turned to me at one point and, and said something to me like, yeah, don't do that or something like something that I was doing that I didn't, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. Like nobody ever told me all yeah. this time through music school and like, oh, if I had had a job, I might not have gotten tenure. Or if he wasn't gracious enough to tell me, I might not have just never been called back. Right. Um, and so I interviewed, um, a bunch of orchestral second players from across the country, people like Ixie Chen, um, Robert Wolfrey, and asked them about all these different aspects of playing second clarinet, because that's mostly what you do when you're subbing, um, and what things that you know they had learned and, and different skills um, that that takes. And uh, so it was really a fascinating project, and I thought um, I learned a lot from doing that. Yeah. And that's really cool. And, and, you know, like, I, I really think, you know, you and me and like five of my other podcast guests, we need to band together and we need to start a school of like, what do you do when you're actually working? Because yeah. <laughs> nobody talks about it and nobody teaches it because uh, I mean, and I don't think it's because people neglect it, but I really think it's just like, there's not enough time. I mean, you have to, you have to teach people how to play the clarinet first. Right. You know? And so, and then you're just like, good luck. Uh, but there's no, like, and, and you can talk about it. You know, I remember I had Michael Wayne on and he's like, yeah, I got my job in Kansas city and I had like never played in an orchestra before. So, you know, I was lucky that I had Greg Williams because he basically was like, okay, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't talk to that person about that. But like nobody, nobody tells you it's, it's a lot of trial by fire. And so I think, you know, collectively through this resource and other resources, I think we can really like form something, uh, and, and, and provide that because people need to know before you get there and before you make the mistakes yourself, um, at least be aware of it, you know? Absolutely. Um, go no, ahead. I, I think it's really important. It's under taught. Um, and, and there's just so many like nuggets of wisdom that you learn from, from doing it right. Or from people who just are kind enough to tell you like in a nice way, Hey, don't swab near my face, you know, or, um, you know, a lot of the repertoire, like the pops repertoire, the Dixieland clarinet solos, incredibly hard stuff in the repertoire that you'll never know how to play. Like we're never taught to play Dixieland. Right. And then maybe your first job as a principal and you're playing this stuff and you don't have a clue about, um, how to really do that effectively. So, um, yeah, I think it's really important. And like you said, there's, there's so much to teach in school. It's hard to cover everything you need to know, but a lot of orchestras are doing trials now. And, um, so it is becoming more based on your performance on the job rather than that audition. Yeah. And I think we've ever, or everyone who's, uh, had the fortune to play in an orchestra, we've all had our Nikolai, you know, we've all had someone who's been like, Hey, you know, here's what you need to do here. Like mine personally was Todd Levy, Todd was one of the first people to invite me to play with an orchestra and I played second to him a couple of times and he was like, well, here, you know, do this, do this. And then when you play an orchestra, you want to do this. And like, I was just like, thank you. Like, cause nobody told me that before. I didn't know how, how, right. how would you know? <laughs> you no. Know? And a lot of times you play with people, you'll go sub and you don't get any feedback and you're like, am I doing okay? Are you happy with what I'm doing? Right. <laughs> like, and then you don't want to ask. Yeah. Cause then, cause then it's like, wanna, they assume you're doing something approval. wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, anyways, we've strayed a little bit, but I, I, you know, I, one of the best things about doing this podcast is you get to meet a lot of great people and, and, uh, the ideas just kind of come, you know, and I, that was, that was cool with talking about Ixie cause she just brought up all these things that I had never thought about before. So I, I think there's opportunities to educate people, uh, outside of school, uh, with mediums like this or the digital clarinet Academy or whatever, uh, other things we can do, we can do to just try to help people and, you know, make, make, have, have other people learn from our mistakes, um. I think it's truly awesome what you're doing. And, um, I am a, a big podcast fan. I like to put them on when I'm driving or traveling, um, or doing house tours. So <laughs> I, I, I love it. I think it's great. Oh, good. Well, for the record, I was not asking for your approval, but I appreciate that you gave it to me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, so, uh, with college auditions, um, when you're sitting down listening to, uh, people audition for Arizona, 
what what are you looking for? Are you looking for potential? Are you looking for uh, moldability? Are you looking for personality? Are you looking for certain characteristics? Like what what is what do you kind of you know? How do you check those boxes? Like what who who do you decide you're gonna accept and reject and waitlist and like like what is it? You know, it's really different depending on um, whether they're auditioning for undergrad or graduate level. So I'll talk about undergrad first and actually different for doctorate versus, versus master's as well. Um, so for undergrad, I mean, at all levels, I'm looking for potential because um, sometimes and, and I'm learning this through, you know, I haven't been even teaching all that long, but. Um, I've learned about the students I've had that a lot of times the people who come in who are all state players, who are strong players, sometimes they just kind of go like this. And um, Can you sorry, explain I'm what not you talking just... about the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, their, their, uh, their graph chart is going up very, very slowly or kind of there holding steady. And um, for, um, you know, for some people, they'll come in and, and, and they will, like I had one student, I remember an audition kind of early on, he, he played in and, and his sound was just um, really undeveloped. And, and I remember my colleagues kind of sitting there cringing a little bit, but there was so much potential with the student. There was great rhythm. There was great um, expression. There were just it was clear that he hadn't had good training and that has been one of my best students as far as um, how quickly this person improved because they were doing so well kind of on their own without any guidance. Um, and those are things you can, you can kind of tell. So sometimes the best trained students aren't always the ones that, that do the, the best. So I think potential is really important. Um, work ethic is the most important thing and, and, and not just work ethic, but, work ethic in the right places. So being teachable, being willing to experiment, um, able to problem solve, because as a teacher, you only have an hour a week, you know, with a student and they have themselves the rest of the week. So what they're able to do, capable to do, to take the knowledge you give them and, and work with it on their own is really important. Um, but I'm also looking for a baseline of, you know, development in especially rhythm and technique. Um, because our ensembles are looking for strong players. Their music is very challenging. And if students struggle technically, they don't know their scales, their rhythm is all over the place. They don't know how to subdivide. Those things at that point of the degree, um, it's just they're going to be playing catch up their entire undergrad. So um, I really, really look for those things in addition to the potential and the work ethic. So judging, I could understand how you could judge potential from an audition. How do you judge work ethic from a, an audition? From an audition, it's really difficult. And I think we're going to talk about this a little later, but um, I think it's really important to um, try to interact with the students outside of the audition. So if a student hasn't come to me before and had some sort of lesson, I try to meet with them after after their audition one-on-one, -on -one. just talk to them about their goals, um, if we have time to do a little bit of playing. Um, and I can get a little bit of feedback. It's hard. You don't always know. And sometimes you make the wrong call <laughs> with students. Because mm, sure. sometimes, sometimes things change in their life and things be, other things become more important to them. But um Usually I, I get that more from that one-on-one, -on -one. but it also can present in some things that, um, that they do. So did they dress nicely for the audition? Um, did it seem like they prepared? Did the student memorize the music? That's not necessary, but sometimes they do. And that shows incredible work ethic. Uh, do they speak professionally? Did they send you a resume beforehand? You know, um, these are kind of things that they're more the professional side of music. And I do a lot of training with my students in that from the very beginning. Um, but if they have that already, it shows me a certain amount of drive. Sure. Um, so for those who are thinking of auditioning, go ahead and rewind the podcast about two minutes and just and write down every single thing that she just said. Um, and I don't think you're saying like you have to memorize your music and that's the only reason that like, no. you work hard. It's just like all these presentations really important in how you present yourself. And if you come in looking kind of disinterested and you know, you answer questions with one words, you know, or gosh, with one word, um, you know, and stuff like that, like it just does, it shows this kind of like, okay, is this person going to have successful weekly lessons or is it going to be like, you know, babysitting time? 
Um, and am I, am I really going to want to work with that person? So absolutely. And, and are they going to show up? Are they going to be reliable? Um, because I mean, you know, this in the business too, sometimes it doesn't really matter how well the person plays. If you can't trust them to be on time to learn their music, then you're never going to call them. Um, so those things are so, so, so important. Um, and, um, it's great if the students already have those qualities coming from high school, sometimes they learn them quickly and um, they have to, but, um, those are really important things to show that you care and just going above the, the bare minimum. I have students who successfully every semester do what I require of them, but it's the ones that go beyond that. The ones that spend hours listening to recordings that go out of their way to, to do a creative project or to play um, performances that are beyond what's required. Those are the ones that are going to be successful, not the ones that are just meeting the bare minimum. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting uh, that you said the word potential because uh you know, it, the high school honors are fantastic. You know, I mean, we all wanted that when we were there. But it's kind of different when you're trying to become, you know, all of a sudden turn it into a career, right? Because, you know, you could be the best three-point shooter in the state of Indiana. But if you're, you know, your mechanics are bad and you start playing against collegiate-level competition, you're going to get all your shots blocked. So it's, it doesn't really make a difference, you know? Whereas, like, you get someone who's athletic or whatever. I'm, I'm making a sports analogy, but, um, you know. I, I love sports, so that's okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, I, you know, I had a, I, I, I was, I've been fortunate this, uh, the last couple of months uh, to have a, a student. She's an adult student. And she came to me and, and was like, hey, I, you know, I, I played clarinet when I was younger and I really want to get back into it. And, you know, I play in a local group or whatever and I just want to get better. And the first time she played for me, I was like, wow, she's, you know, she's pretty good. But there were, like, a few fundamental things that, like, you know, weren't there, but she would be someone who I'd be like, okay, if you give me two years with her, you know, we can see incredible, you know, cause she had the fundamental baseline. And I think it's actually pretty easy to tell like who's got it and who doesn't have it, you know? And so after six months or whatever, however long we've been working together, like she's, I mean, she sounds great now, you know, and she's, she's really improving like really fast. Cause we're just focusing on those things where she was, you know, struggling with a little bit. And then you, you turn those things into strength. But if you have that, that uh, potentially, you know, those, those fundamental and that core, that's somebody who you can work with and really take somewhere. Absolutely. And, and depending on where students live, they may not have access to teachers. There are some, you know, places in Arizona that where I've recruited students where there are no local teachers in their area and they don't come in um, to college having ever had a private lesson. And but they've gotten to an incredible level on their own. And once they start getting you know, good fundamentals and, 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 and lessons and good information. I mean, they, they take off like that. So, mm -hmm. um, they're still at, at that age, you know, really malleable. Um, and I think, you know, even, even later, I mean, I, I feel that way about myself too. I, I was never, I never thought, I don't think anybody probably in high school thought I was going to end up in music, you know, and myself included, I was just kind of mm -hmm. like, let me keep going with this as long as I can. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think that it's, it's talent and it's even young talent that, that makes it far, but it's, it's, it's a right kind of work ethic and, uh, skills and problem solving and, um, looking at the bigger picture that really makes a difference in the long run. Absolutely. So you mentioned that the undergrad auditions are maybe slightly different in terms of what you're looking for for graduate students. So can you talk about sort of what that difference is? Is it just like the advancement in the fundamentals or I'm not yeah. going to list off everything for you. I just uh, I want to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, by the master's level, um, I, I'm really looking for solid fundamentals at that point especially in, you know, sound production, um, embouchure, articulation, you know, it, it, you know, sometimes there's still little things to fix, but, um, if they have a good base in that and they have a good base in their technique, um, as well as, a studied a variety of repertoire and different styles, they feel familiar with that, comfortable with that. Um, those things are really important going into the masters. I also really, um, you know, take into consideration their grades and, um, 
their teacher recommendations. I think that's, that's a real big one. Um, because again, you don't have a lot of time with these people and it's sometimes hard to tell in, in an hour, you know, or an audition, um, you know, what their potential might be. Um, so I think those things are really important. If I see a student got less than an A in, in their lessons, that's kind of a little bit of a red flag, mm-hmm. um, that maybe they're, they're not ready for that advanced degree or they're not serious. Um, and I'm glad I so- didn't audition for you. Mr. Bloom was like, uh, <laughs> he- <laughs> He was he was like notorious for not giving people A's in lessons. So I remember I think I think by like middle of my sophomore year I was he was finally like okay fine you can have an A. But um, anyways, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> well, I would take that knowing that then I would take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. I I feel like there's a lot of great inflation at a lot of schools. Um, as far as like oh you're in class here's an A. Uh, you showed up to your lessons. That's right. C's get degrees. <laughs> Don't listen to this for people in high school. Do, do your homework. It's good. It, um, Absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Uh, so this is a kind of a tricky subject because obviously every school has different criteria for what they're looking for in repertoire. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I'll wait to give my opinion on this, but do you, is there anything that you would recommend just g- in general terms of like what people should choose uh, for what they're going to audition on? Um, you know, I actually don't, I used to be kind of strict about it. And then I realized that all these different schools are really strict. And when my students will go audition for grad degree programs, it's so hard trying to fit your repertoire into all these different places without having to learn, you know, two hours of of music. So, um, my requirements are, 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 I guess, a bit looser for undergrads. Um, I definitely want to hear scales um, sight reading. And then I have them pick two contrasting pieces. So I have a list of suggestions, um, that we put on our website, but it's not, they don't have to choose from those. So kind of suggested kind of level pieces. Um, I hear a lot of Aber concertino. Which is fine. It shows a lot of, you know, different rhythms and style and things like that. But, um, that is a really popular one. Um, but I, I like to hear, you know, if, if it's showing lyrical and technical, um, aspects of the playing, um, it's great if they've learned a lot of great repertoire in high school, but again, not every student has really access to that kind of education. Um, for masters and doctoral level, I do really like to hear the Mozart concerto, especially for doctorate. Um, because sometimes you can end up with a student that, um, doesn't have great rhythm and they can kind of disguise it by the repertoire that they choose and they can't disguise it with a Mozart. Um, they can't disguise a lot of things with a Mozart. Mm-hmm. So for, for me, that's kind of a, just making sure I've, I've, I've got co- my bases covered and I can hear all the fundamentals very, very clearly. Um, and then I like for them to choose, um, three contrasting excerpts. And again, they can choose those, um, so that I can hear kind of what their orchestral training is at that point. Um, beyond that, it's really great to hear um, the work of um, contemporary piece, 20th century or 21st century, just to make sure they're kind of developing that side of their playing too. Um, but I leave the repertoire pretty pretty open for uh, other than that. Yeah, and I think it's good you do that. And if you want to hear a, uh, my quick hot take on this, it doesn't really. And this is I'm talking. I'm not talking about to you. I'm talking to people choosing their pieces it doesn't really matter what you play. No. It, it, it just doesn't because, you know, Jackie's going to be listening to, okay, what's this person's potential? Okay, they struggle with this. And it doesn't matter if you're doing that in Mozart or in Copeland or in Brahms or what. you're going to hear it. And so that's all we're listening to. I mean, yeah. you know, and and my good friend put it well once. He he, he used to do um, clinics for like high school bands. And the, the these band directors were like, oh, do you, do you want a score of this piece ahead of time? And he was like, no, I don't need a score. Like I'm going to walk in there and the clarinets are going to be out of tune and I'm going to tune the clarinets, you know? And it's the same thing with like college auditions. It's like, you're, it, it doesn't really matter what they're playing for you. It's just like, oh, okay. Are they musical? Can they do this? Can I teach them? So don't freak out if, if you like can't decide what the perfect choice of pieces are, just play something and play it well. That's it. No, you're right. There's so much fear about that too. Um, I can't tell you the amount of emails I get asking me what they should play for the audition. And I'm like, first of all, 
did you go to the website and look? (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy if you email me, but don't email me about something you can find out on your own. That's, that tells me something about you. Um, so there's that, but then it's also like, you know, within those guidelines, choose something that you feel good about and that you want to play. You're going to be practicing this music so much. Um, and, and like you said, it doesn't really matter as long as it's a piece of standard literature. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so if someone is looking to study with you at the university of Arizona, what should they be doing ahead of time, uh, when looking, uh, to, you know, develop a relationship with you? Do you recommend that they just contact you like a year out and say, Hey, I'm so-and-so from this place. Can I take a lesson? Would you recommend they send you recordings or something? Like what is your general recommendation? Cause I think Building the teacher-student relationship is important. I think that's so important. Um, Every teacher is a little bit different. For me, I am happy for a student to reach out in whatever capacity they want to. So um, if they want to send me recordings, if they want to send me their resume, sometimes they do. Um, This year we've been beating for Zoom lessons um, because of the pandemic. But, you know, typically if you could come do a a visit, if you're able to, that's so important, not just because you get to meet me, but you get to see the facilities. Um, You, you know, hopefully you can meet some students in the studio class and just really get an idea of the culture at the school and if you feel like you would fit. And and I think that's really, really important. Um, the teacher is really important. Maybe number one, number two is probably just the culture, you know, to see if, if that's a place that you feel like you belong. Um, so I love that. I mean, sometimes people contact me as early as sophomore here. Wow. And, and I'm like, oh, you're auditioning next year? And they're like, no, in 2025 or whatever. <laughs> it's not that far off. But, and I'm like, oh, okay. And so they get on my radar early and, and they'll check in kind of throughout those couple of years and say, hey, I'm still interested in coming, you know. Um, so that's fine at any point when, when that process starts to happen for students, um, when they start to look at schools, I think that's great. Um, I think the lessons are really important. Um, not just to help you get in, because it does help you if, if you have a rapport with a teacher and they see how you learn and they've met you and they remember you. But um, it helps you know if you are a good fit with that teacher, because not everybody um, learns in the same way. Not everybody likes the same people and feel like they it's a place that, you know, that's the way they want to learn and, and that's the environment that they want. So um, I think that's, you know, really huge. And, and a lot of times people are afraid to ask, I think for that and, um, they shouldn't be. Yeah. And, uh, that's always the first thing I recommend is like, oh, someone's like, oh, I want to study at Eastman. I was like, well, just email Michael, you know, just send him an email. I'm sure he'll respond to you. And I'm sure he'll, if he has time, he'll teach you, you know, he'll teach you a lesson. I mean, I don't think you would turn, if someone says, Hey, can I take a lesson? I don't think you would turn someone down, assuming you could fit them in your schedule. I mean, am I wrong making that assumption? No, I've, I've never turned anybody down for a yeah, lesson. Exactly. And so it's, it's good. And you know, some people don't have time, you know, like I've, right. you know, there's people I've reached out to and they just, you know, they're busy. They're, some of these people are very busy and they just don't have time, but, um, that's the easiest thing to do is just kind of build, like you said, build up that relationship and rapport. Cause, and then, you know, when you come in for the audition, it's kind of, it's not a formality, but it's, oh, there's a familiar face. I know how they work. I know what we've been working on. Maybe I can show them, you know, here's what I've, here, how I've improved since, you know, you heard me three months ago or whatever. Absolutely. It's a win-win because if you play poorly in the lesson, then you come in and play well in your audition and you say, oh, wow, this person's really improved. And if you play well in your lesson and poorly in your audition, then they'll say, well, I know this person is capable of better yeah. and they were just nervous, right? So um, you really can't lose in that scenario. And um, I think also just communicating with a teacher tells you how available the teacher is going to be for you. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, I've <laughs> I got degrees at three schools, so I've auditioned in a lot of places and taken a lot of lessons. And there are teachers who sometimes never responded to me or would respond to me like a month later. And um, that, that just wasn't the kind of school that I wanted to go to. I sure. wanted to go to a place where I knew like the teacher was going to be there if I needed something and was going to be a good communicator. So, um, that, so that told me something too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wow. It's just, that's uh, terrific advice. And I think people looking, you know, maybe if you're interested in a certain teacher or a certain school, just start that relationship now, you know, again, let's push, let's push pause on the episode break out your iPhone or whatever and send someone an email and then just get it started. You know, just don't, don't wait to do it. Um, 
I think it's incredibly important. Um, so you talked about your relationship with your teacher. Um, what kind of relationship do you try to have with your students? Are you kind of that person who's like, okay, somebody's having trouble at nine o'clock at night, I'll call them, you know, they'll call me and I'm available. Or are you, are you the, you know, uh, I'm struggling in ensembles. Can you come help me and, and try to, you know, be there for them as much as possible? Or are you kind of like, well, a little more hands off, like you got to figure some stuff out yourself. I'll kind of guide you through the big stuff and then we can work really hard in our lessons. So I just want to know like what type of teacher are you? Um, I guess I'm somewhere, somewhere maybe in the middle. Um, I think that, um, it's really important, especially coming out of high school to learn to take initiative for yourself. Um, and sometimes um, students, actually sometimes this can happen after high school, it's really unfortunate, but um, they're kind of used to being told what to do. They're used to being kind of spoon fed information. And um, it's really important to start to develop those skills for yourself so that you're able to work through problems on your own. You're able to build confidence in, um, in those areas. So I think that's really important. Um, it, to help to develop that, that healthy, um, initiative in yourself. Um, but if my students need me, I'm there for them. So there's, yeah. the, there is always that, but, um, I also try to, you know, for my own health, um, make sure that, um, I tell them not to, to text me unless it's an emergency outside of business hours. Um, because it's, it's good for me to also set those kind yeah. of boundaries and their, in the relationship too, that I, I, I am your teacher, you know, I'm supporting you and I want the best for you, but I'm not your mom, you know, yeah. and, <laughs> and, and, and if you can also, you know, figure things out on your own by, by, um, looking at a website, by asking a colleague, um, that goes for really any professor show, find, you know, take that initiative and do that work on your own. And then you come to the lesson saying, I've done all my work. I've gotten to this point. And I, I need to get further and then, and then I can take that and push it further. It also wastes, wastes their time in a way, um, because they're spending time in their lesson asking me about things they could have figured out on their own. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so it's about kind of promoting that kind of environment where the students are really taking responsibility for their career and I'm there to help and assist them. Yeah. And, and please, I, I hope you didn't, take it the wrong way that like you're a bad teacher if you're not there for them all the time that's that's no. absolutely it was just it's interesting because like you know i mean my teacher was pretty hands-off uh Lori was pretty hands-off but then when i studied with steve he was a little more hands-on where he would come to orchestra rehearsals and he would come afterwards and like you're like hey you might want to do this here or he'd send you a text being like you know you did that whereas like Lori was kind of just like okay like here's some symphony tickets come hear me play like you do, mm -hmm. and you do plenty of learning in that way. Uh, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and other studios as well. It was just interesting to see like the dynamics of like, you know, like Gail Williams, for example, a wonderful horn teacher at Northwestern. She, I mean, talk about going above and beyond. I mean, she, I had a former roommate who had a, an injury at, uh, uh, that makes uh, the, the one where you like lose uh, the feeling in your face or your hand or whatever. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, Anyways, I'll, I'll figure it out after the episode, what it's called. But, uh, she would like come home, like this was after he graduated and she would like come home in the middle of teaching and like teach him for like two hours and try to like solve this problem for him just totally for free. And so like, there's just different levels of like involvement with teachers. And so I, I had kind of like different relationships with each, each one of my teachers. Like I wouldn't feel comfortable calling Lori about like, Hey, what mouthpiece should I be playing on? But I can call Michael Wayne and he'll talk to me for like three hours about it. So, you know, it's just, it's interesting to, to hear like how people take things, um, you know, develop those relationships with their students. So, and I'm glad you're kind of in between because I think you're right. It's like, you got to figure some stuff out on your own. Otherwise, once you graduate, like you're, what are you going to do? I mean, yeah, you know, you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You got to learn somehow. My, my goal, I tell them is that, um, my goal is that I become obsolete by the time you graduate, um, that you don't need me anymore because you figured out how to do these things on yourself. So, um, so I try to start to build that self-reliance. Yeah. And do you, speaking of that, do you like to continue your relationship, excuse me, your relationships with your students? Like I'm sure you still speak to them or whatever, but how does the relationship kind of change as they get older and their careers develop? <laughs> 
you know, I always tell them when they graduate, please keep in touch with me, send me emails, you know, let me know how you're doing. And, and if you need anything, um, you know, call me, like if you need advice about stuff, call me. Um, that's the kind of relationship that I have, um, with my undergraduate professor. Um, and it's, it's wonderful because, you know, in academia too, sometimes you just, you have, you're in a sticky situation and you, you need to talk to somebody you don't work with Mm -hmm. about a problem. Right. Um, so, um, I still, you know, it's been 17 years or something and I I still call him, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, but, um, so I, I had a call from a student, uh, the other week who graduated a couple of years ago and some questions about whether or not she wants to go into her DMA. And so she gave me a call, um, for advice. And, and so I love that when that happens, because, um, at that point we kind of go beyond, even though it's still kind of that, you know, you've had this teacher student relationship, but it, it becomes more co- colleague, you know, collegial and, and supporting them and offering them advice on their career. But even if they don't end up in music, it's always nice to hear from them. You spend a lot of a lot of time with these students and you watch them kind of grow. And, and so I always, you know, want to support whatever they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so obviously this year is a little unique in terms of, uh, how people are auditioning for colleges and universities. Uh, are you guys doing in-person auditions at all, or is it all virtual? It's all virtual. We have um, an option of you can record or there's a live online audition. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I wouldn't take that one personally. I would record. But some people are signed up for that one. Um, so uh, it's all it's all going to be virtual this year. It's a very different scenario. So what are your tips for virtual auditions or recordings? And like, okay, well, here's the first question. So are your auditions, you have to play things straight through? Or is it you can cut it at, at the end of each piece? They can cut at the end of each piece. Okay. So so what are your like main tips here? And I'm talking about like, you know, what should you put on tape? Uh, how much time should you spend on it? Like when should you just push send? Like uh, all the all the like recording quality. Like what what should, what should your uh, let's let's do like a priority list. Like what should your priority be? Um, I think it's really important to make sure you have, um, decent, if not good equipment to record Mm -hmm. on. Um, because you know, I, I've heard some really tough iPhone videos sometimes. Um, but, um, if you have, you know, a, a mic or you can buy one that plugs into your phone or your computer to record, that makes a massive difference. Um, try to treat it like a live audition. So, dress like you would for a live audition, try to have a neutral background. I had one video that was submitted. It was not this year. It was a couple years ago by this student. Um, and she was in her pajamas and she was like sitting on her couch and there were like people walking in the background, like doing dishes, like clearly clearing dinner while she was making this recording. And it, it was, uh, oh yeah. It was tough because also the playing wasn't wasn't super great. So um, makes for a good story, though. It does. It was it was, it was something. Um, so you know, try to think about that. Sometimes I mean, I know this sounds really like obvious, but it, it isn't because people do this kind of thing. So um, you know, make sure you dress nice, you look nice, um, you check your recording equipment before you record. You make sure your video is centered. Um, make sure that um, you're close enough that, um, we, your, your chin, your embouchure and your both hands are visible because mm-hmm. that's really important. A lot of teachers are looking to see what, um, your fa- hand position looks like, what your embouchure looks like, if there's movement in your throat, things like that to yeah. kind of gauge where you are fundamentally and what your issues might be. So, you, um, sorry, do you mind if I interrupt? I'm going to forget. Otherwise, yeah. do you recommend people stand profile or angled or like straight onto the camera? I like a little bit of angle. A little angle, okay. I feel like I can see the best that way. It's also a little less awkward than somebody who's kind of... Yeah, the straight on is straight on is really never yeah. flattering, to be honest. It's not. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then you're just sort of playing to the distance. You're not really playing to the camera, which I think is nice. The camera's just kind of capturing you. Yeah. Um, so I think those things are really important and knowing when to stop, knowing when you have to, when you have a really good recording, I would say, you know, just like prepare like you would for performance, work towards 
that peak happening when you're recording and give yourself a couple days to do it and just say, okay, I'm going to do this X amount of times and I'm going to take my best takes. You don't drive yourself crazy. Um, and that also makes you a little bit less nervous to record. It's a different kind of nerves. For sure. And I, uh, if I might, may add a few pieces of advice onto the end of that, I think it's good too when you're recording, because believe me, I've done plenty of recordings and it's, it can be maddening sometimes, especially if you're very uh, meticulous about your playing. Uh, so one of my best, my favorite things to do is just you record and you set a certain amount of time to record and then you, you let it be and you come back to it actually the next day. Mm-hmm. because then you're not tempted to sit there and like, oh, I got, I got to do that again. And then it just becomes this kind of like, are you really getting a better take or are you just driving yourself crazy? So, right. it's, you know, and then another thing to do as well, if you have a teacher other than the one you're auditioning for, it's nice to kind of send those recordings ahead of time and be like, hey, can you just take a listen, make sure everything's okay? Does it sound good? Should I do anything differently? You know, maybe something like that. Just get, just to get somebody else review it before mm-hmm. you, uh, to review it before you submit it. Um, I think that's, that's a good idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, great. Uh, Jackie, this, uh, this has been incredible. Um, uh, you've, you, I think, I think, you know, you've just given a lot of great advice and, uh, for people looking to audition for grad school or undergrad, uh, lots of things, lots of stuff to think about. Uh, there always, there always is, but I think the first thing and first and foremost is just start, start developing those relationships with the people that you want to study with. I think that's the biggest takeaway from this, uh, episodes. So if you want to study with uh, Jackie, send her an email. I'm sure she'll write you back. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm pretty prompt uh, yeah. <laughs> to that too. Um, and and I, if I can add on to that too, um, just make sure your emails are well-written, that you spell the person's name correctly. Um, you know, it's really nice to refer to them as doctor or, you know, uh, Mr. Mrs. or whatever the title, um, should be for them. Um, and, you know, sign your email, just, just kind of basic things because I uh, sometimes get emails that look like text is kind of like, yo, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that doesn't leave a really good impression of the student. So just make sure your communication is really clear. Um, and, um, you know, respectful and that you say what you mean to say. And, and I think it's great. Don't be afraid to reach out. I, I know it's scary, but um, you're going to face a lot of fear um, in this profession and you've got to lean into it. Yeah. And adding on to that, too. Uh, and this is, you know, I think becoming more and more important with don't send an email from partyguy72 at <laughs> gmail.com. You know what I mean? Like just like everyone start now just get in get an email a gmail address with your name on it and know like you know we all have our own uh you know tag uh, you know gamer tag or whatever but this is not an appropriate place for it so um i'm sure you've gotten a a few of those too i've seen some pretty funny ones (laughs) (laughs) um and one thing i wanted to add on to sorry I'm, i'm a little uh, scrambled tonight, but I, there's a lot of things that I've, have sort of come up, but if anyone has any, um, uh, questions about recording equipment and stuff, I've gotten really into that recently. So I'll put some recommendations for like cheap USB microphones in the description of the episode. And so you can just click on those links and check those out. Or if you just have any questions for me on like what programs you should use or whatever, feel free to head to the website, fill out the contact form and just ask me. Um, I, I will absolutely get back to you, uh, with the best advice that I can give. Um, uh, so Jackie, uh, before we leave, I always give some, give my guests a chance to just kind of say whatever you need to say, uh, if you have any, uh, pieces of advice or last words or shout outs, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you want to talk about, the, the floor will be yours. Um, oh, wow. That's, that's a curveball. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would, I would say if, um, if I had some advice for, for students and for everyone listening, um, I was talking to a student today, um, over Zoom um, about um, imposter syndrome and how we all kind of um, doubt ourselves constantly. And I I find this cropping up more and more with with my colleagues who are even like super well established or have great jobs that that we're still questioning and, and doubting ourselves constantly. And I think it's really important to be open um, and 
especially, you know, take, take people's words, but also at a certain point you have to be really confident in who you are and what you want to do and, and, and what you, what product you're selling, you know, uh, whatever that it might is or may be. And, um, so I just really in, encourage everyone to be confident in, in what they have and, and what they want to do and try to ignore, ignore the noise because you're not always going to please every single person. Um, and, and, you know, I, I had a lesson with a teacher in high school, um, that told me kind of like, you're never going to make it in music. Um, and I still kind of, you know, kind of shake my fist at this person, like, well, I showed you, you know, so, so really, really, you know, stay true to yourself and, um, keep going and, and do what you want to do. Absolutely. Uh, and there's, I mean, there's, I've had numerous people say you need to do an episode on imposter syndrome and that's definitely going to happen. Uh, but we all do it. I mean, we all doubt ourselves, but you gotta just be confident and just, you know, everyone, everyone has those doubts and just know that you're not alone in that. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's great advice. Um, so thank you, Jackie, so much for joining me tonight. Uh, it's really been a pleasure. Uh, and I'm glad to finally get to meet you and I hope that we work together again sometime, uh, hopefully sooner and hopefully eventually in person. Uh, but, me but too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I'm sure paths will cross. Yeah, I hope so. Um, so for our new listeners out there, uh, we are making our final push in 2020 to reach 500 Instagram followers. I think we're like 30 away, so we're almost there. So make sure to check us out on Instagram at the Candid Clarinetist. Also, uh, next week, I'm super excited for this. Uh, it's just going to be a super fun episode. I have three guests. Uh, Ralph Schiano, who's a former guest of the podcast, uh, principal clarinet in Detroit, Detroit Symphony, uh, and then Will Amsel, who's the principal clarinet of the Buffalo Philharmonic, and Gabby Campos-Samora, who's the principal clarinet of Minnesota Orchestra. We're going to have a little candid clarinetist holiday special, so we're just going to kind of hang out. Uh, they're three of my best friends in the industry, and we're just going to kind of hang out and yuck it up for a little while, so if you want to join us on Twitch, uh, it'll be live at 8 p.m. next Monday night. Um, and just come on in. Uh, you can hang out in the chat room. Just ask us questions. We're just going to kind of share some holiday memories and just have a good time. So that'll be really fun. Um, and uh, two, uh, be sure to stop by our website at candidclarinetispodcast.com where you can find more information about myself, the podcast, and links to all of our content platforms. And once again, I am Sam Rothstein, and thanks for tuning in to the Candid Clarinetist Podcast. <laughs>